0: Chapter two, the younger son leaves. The younger son, the younger one said to his father, father, let me have the share of the estate that will come to me. So the father divided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country. The full title of Rembrandt's painting is, as has been said, the return of the prodigal son. Implicit in the return is a leaving. Returning is a homecoming after a home leaving coming back after having gone away. The father who welcomes his son home is so glad because the son was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. The immense joy in welcoming back the lost son hides the immense sorrow that has gone before. The finding has the losing in the background. The returning has the leaving under its cloak. Looking at the tender and joy-filled return, I have to dare to taste the sorrowful events that precede it. Only when I have the courage to explore in depth what it means to leave home, can I come to a true understanding of the return. The soft yellow-brown of the son's underclothes look beautiful when seen in rich harmony with the red of the father's cloak. But the truth of the matter is that the son is dressed in rags that betray the great misery that lies behind him. In the context of a compassionate embrace, our brokenness may appear beautiful, but our brokenness has no beauty, but the beauty that comes from the compassion that surrounds it.
1: To understand deeply
0: the mystery of compassion, I have to look honestly at the reality that evokes it. The fact is that long before turning and returning home, the son left. He said to the father, let me have the share of the estate that has come to me. Then he got together everything he had received and left. The evangelist Luke tells it so simply and so matter-of-factly that it is difficult to realize fully that what is happening here is an unheard of event, hurtful, offensive, and in radical contradiction to the most venerated tradition of the time. Kenneth Bailey in his penetrating explanation of Luke's story shows how the son's manner of leaving is tantamount to wishing his father dead. Bailey writes for over 15 years, I've been asking people of all walks of life from Morocco to India and from Turkey to the Sudan about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. The answer has always been emphatically the same. The conversations runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? His father would beat him, of course. Well, why? The request means he wants his father to die. Billy explains that the son asks not only for the division of the inheritance, but also for the right to dispose of his part. After signing over his possessions to his son, the father still has the right to live off the, proce- the, off the proceeds, as long as he is alive. Here, the younger son gets, and thus is... a assumed to have demanded disposition to which even more explicitly, he has no right until the death of his father. The implication of father, I cannot wait for you to die underlies both requests. The son's leaving is therefore a much more offensive act than it seems at first reading. It is a heartless rejection of the home in which the son was born and nurtured and a break with the most precious tradition carefully upheld by the larger community of which he was a part. When Luke writes and left for a distant country, indicates much more than the desire of a young man to see more of the world. He speaks about a drastic cutting loose from the way of living, thinking, and acting that has been handed down to him from generation to generation as a sacred legacy. More than disrespect, it is a betrayal of the treasured values of family and community. The distant country is the world in which everything considered holy at home is disregarded. This explanation is significant to me, not only because it provides me with an accurate understanding of the parable and its historical context, but also, and most of all, because it summons me to recognize the younger son in myself. At first, it seemed hard to discover in my own life's journey, such a defiant rebellion. Rejecting the values of my own heritage is not part of the way I think of myself. But when I look carefully at the many more or less subtle ways I've preferred the distant country to the home close by, the younger son quickly emerges. I'm speaking here about a spiritual leaving home. as quite distinct from the mere physical fact that I've spent most of my years outside my beloved Holland. More than any other story in the gospel, the parable of the prodigal son expresses the boundlessness of God's compassionate love. And when I place myself in that story under the light of that divine love, it becomes painfully clear that leaving home is much closer to my spiritual experience than I might have thought. Rembrandt's painting of the father welcoming his son displays scarcely any external movement. In contrast to his 1636 etching of the prodigal son, full of action, the father running to the son and the son throwing himself at the father's feet, The Hermitage painting made about 30 years later is one of utter stillness. The father's touching the son is an everlasting blessing. The son resting against his father's breast is an eternal peace. Christian Tumple writes, the moment of receiving and forgiving in the stillness of its composition lasts without end. The movement of the father and the son speaks of something that passes not, but lasts forever. Jacob Rosenberg summarizes this vision beautifully when he writes, The group of father and son is outwardly almost motionless, but inwardly all the more moved. The story deals not with the human love of an earthly father. What is meant and represented here is the divine love and mercy in its power to transform death into life. Leaving home is then much more than a historical event bound to time and place. It is a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being that God holds me safe in an eternal embrace, that I am indeed carved in the palms of God's hands and hidden in their shadows. Leaving home means ignoring the truth that God has fashioned me in secret, molded me in the depths of the earth, and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Leaving home is living as though I do not yet have a home and must look far and wide to find one. Home is the center of my being, where I can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. The same voice that gave life to the first Adam and spoke to Jesus, the second Adam. The same voice that speaks to all the children of God and sets them free to live in the midst of the dark world while remaining in the light. I have heard that voice. It has spoken to me in the past and continues to speak to me now. It is the never-interrupted voice of love speaking from eternity and giving life and love whenever it is heard. When I hear that voice, I know that I am home with God and have nothing to fear. As the Beloved of my Heavenly Father, I can walk in the valley of darkness, no evil would I fear. As the Beloved, I can cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Having received without charge, I can give without charge. As the Beloved, I can confront, console, admonish, and encourage without fear of rejection or need for affirmation. As the Beloved, I can suffer persecution without desire for revenge. And receive praise without using it as proof of my goodness. As the beloved, I can be tortured and killed without ever having to doubt that, that the love that is given to me is stronger than death. As the beloved, I am free to live and give life, free also to die while giving life. Jesus has made it clear to me that the same voice that he heard at the River Jordan and on Mount Tabor can also be heard by me. He has made it clear to me that just as He has his home with the Father, so do I. Praying to his father for his disciples, he says, they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they too may be consecrated in truth. These words words reveal my true dwelling place, my true abode, my true home. Faith is the radical trust that home has always been there and always will be there. The somewhat stiff hands of the father rest on the prodigal's shoulders with an everlasting divine blessing. You are my beloved, on you my favor rests. Yet over and over again, I have left home. I have fled the hands of blessing and run off to faraway places searching for love. This is the great tragedy of my life and of the lives of so many I meet on my journey. Somehow I've become deaf to the voice that calls me to the beloved, have left the only place where I can hear the voice, and have gone off desperately hoping that I would find somewhere else what I could no longer find at home. At first, this sounds simply unbelievable. Why should I leave the place where all I need to hear can be heard? The more I think about that question, the more I realize that the true voice of love is a very soft and gentle voice speaking to me in the most hidden places of my being. It is not a boisterous voice forcing itself on me and demanding attention. It is the voice of a nearly blind father who has cried much and died many deaths. It is the voice that can only be heard by those who allow themselves to be touched. Seeing the touch of God's blessing hands and hearing the voice calling me the beloved are one and the same. This became clear to the prophet Elijah. Elijah was standing on the mountain to meet God. First, there came a hurricane, but God was not in the hurricane. Then there came an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. Then followed a fire, but God was not there either. Finally, there came something very tender, called by some a soft breeze and by others a small voice. When Elijah sensed this, he covered his face because he knew that God was present. In the tenderness of God, voice was touch and touch was voice. But there are many other voices, voices that are loud, full of promises and very seductive. These voices say, go out and prove that you are worth something. Soon after Jesus had heard the voice calling him the Beloved, he was led to the desert to hear those other voices. They told him to prove that he was worth love in being successful, popular, and powerful. Those same voices are not unfamiliar to me. They are always there, and always they reach into those inner places where I question my own goodness and doubt my self-worth. They suggest that I am not going to be loved without my having earned it through determined efforts and hard work. They want me to prove to myself and others that I'm worth being loved. And they keep pushing me to do everything possible to gain acceptance. They deny loudly that love is a totally free gift. I leave home every time I lose faith in the inner voice that calls me the beloved and follow the voices that offer a great variety of ways to win the love I so much desire. Almost from the moment I had ears to hear, I heard these voices and they have stayed with me ever since. They've come to me through my parents, my friends, my teachers, and my colleagues most of all, they have come and still come through the mass media that surround me. And they say, show me that you are a good boy. You had better be better than your friend. How are your grades? Be sure that you make it through school. I sure hope that you are going to make it on your own. What are your connections? Are you sure you want to be friends with those people? These trophies certainly show how good a player you are. Don't show your weakness, you'll be used. Have you made all the arrangements for your old age? When you stop being productive, people lose interest in you. When you are dead, you are dead. As long as I remain in touch with the voice that calls me the beloved, these questions and counsels are quite harmless. Parents, friends, and teachers, even those who speak to me through the media, are mostly very sincere in their concerns. Their warnings and advice are well-intended. In fact, they can be limited human expressions of the unlimited divine love. But when I forget the voice of first unconditional love, then these innocent suggestions can easily start dominating my life and pull me into the distant country. It is not very hard for me to know when this is happening. Anger, resentment, jealousy, desire for revenge, lust, greed, antagonisms, and rivalries are the obvious signs that I've left home. And that happens quite easily. When I pay careful attention to what goes on in my mind from moment to moment, I come to the disconcerting discovery that there are very few moments during my day that I'm really free from these dark emotions, passions, and feelings. Constantly falling back into an old trap, before I'm even fully aware of it, I find myself wondering why someone hurt me, rejected me, or didn't pay attention to me. Without realizing it, I find myself brooding about someone else's success, my own loneliness, and the way the world abuses me. Despite my conscious intentions, I often catch myself daydreaming about becoming rich, powerful, and very famous. All of these mental games reveal to me the fragility of my faith, that I am the beloved one on whom God's favor rests. I am so afraid of being disliked, blamed, put aside, passed over, ignored, persecuted, and killed, that I am constantly developing strategies to defend myself and thereby assure myself of the love I think I need and deserve. And in doing so, I move far away from my father's home and choose to dwell in a distant country. At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong, to God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. As long as I keep running about asking, do you love me? Do you really love me? I give all power to the voices of the world and put myself in bondage because the world is filled with ifs. The world says, yes, I love you. If you are good looking, intelligent, and wealthy, I love you. If you have a good education, a good job and good connections, I love you. If you produce much sell much and buy much, there are endless ifs hidden in the world's love, these ifs enslave me since it is impossible to respond adequately to all of them. The world's love is, and always will be conditional. As long as I keep looking for my true self in the world of conditional love, I will remain hooked to the world, trying, failing, and trying again. It is a world that fosters addictions because what it offers cannot satisfy the deepest craving of my heart. Addiction might be the best word to explain the lostness that so deeply permeates contemporary society. Our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self fulfillment accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink, and sexual gratification without distinguishing between lust and love. These addictions create expectations that cannot but fail to satisfy our deepest needs. As long as we live within the world's delusions, our addictions condemn us to the futile quests in the distant country, leaving us to face an endless series of disillusionments while our sense of self remains unfulfilled. In these days of increasing addictions, we have wandered far away from our father's home. The addicted life can be aptly designated a life lived in a distant country. It is from there that our cry for deliverance rises up. I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Why do I keep leaving home where I'm called a child of God, the beloved of my father? I'm constantly surprised at how I keep taking the gifts God has given me, my health, my intellectual and emotional gifts, and keep using them to impress people, receiving affirmation and praise, and compete for rewards instead of developing them for the glory of God. Yes, I often carry them off to a distant country and put them in the service of an exploiting world that does not know their true value. It's almost as if I want to prove to myself and to the world that I do not need God's love, that I can make a life on my own, that I want to be fully independent. Beneath it all is the great rebellion, the radical no to the father's love, the unspoken curse, I wish you were dead. The prodigal son's no reflects Adam's original rebellion, his rejection of the God in whose love we are created, and by whose love we are sustained. It is the rebellion that places me outside of the garden, out of reach of the tree of life. It is the rebellion that makes me dissipate myself in a distant country. Looking again at Rembrandt's portrayal of the return of the younger son, I now see how much more is taking place than a mere compassionate gesture toward a wayward child. The great event I see is the end of the great rebellion. The rebellion of Adam and of all of his descendants is forgiven and the original blessing by which Adam received everlasting life is restored. It seems to me now that these hands have always been stretched out, even when there were no shoulders upon which to rest them. God has never pulled back his arms, never withheld his blessing, never stopped considering his son the beloved one. But the father couldn't compel his son to stay home. He couldn't force his love on the beloved. He had to let him go in freedom, even though he knew the pain it would cause both his son and himself. It was love itself that prevented him from keeping his son home at all cost. It was love itself that allowed him to let his son find his own life, even with the risk of losing it. Here the mystery of my life is unveiled. I am loved so much that I am left free to leave home. The blessing is there from the beginning. I have left it and keep on leaving it. But the father is always looking for me with outstretched arms to receive me back and whisper again in my ear, you are my beloved. On you, my favor rests.